Hey guys, I hope uh, hope you're not just joining us. Hope you were here for the worship time we just finished up with. We were made to worship, and uh, even in a semi-empty auditorium here, uh, it is uh, it's authentic and it's liberating. It's uplifting to worship the Lord together. That'll be even better. Lord willing, very soon, Lord willing, May 10th, when we're here face-to-face together, worshiping the Lord together. And then, guys, that's just a foretaste of what's awaiting us in heaven. So we look forward to that day. Let me pray, and we'll get into the message for this morning. Lord God, we humble ourselves before you. We acknowledge that you're God, that we are your creatures. We come from your hand. Life, Lord, comes from you. And we owe you all that we are, all that we have and think, to love you with all that we are is the only right thing we can do. To love others who've been made in your image is the only right thing we can do. And we submit ourselves to you this morning, ask that your spirit uses the truth of your word to draw us more fully into your presence, Lord, until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, hope you're looking at an image of a 2006 documentary film entitled An Inconvenient Truth. That film was based on former Vice President Al Gore PowerPoint presentation he'd been giving around the world. He said he'd given it over a thousand times. And his the gist of that presentation was his attempt to rouse the world to embrace his view of man's destructive impact on the world and the world's climate. And this was his thesis man-made carbon dioxide was causing global warming. And then global warming was starting sort of a domino effect. So it was worsening and increasing the numbers and the severity of of, uh, hurricanes, tornadoes. We were going to have falling polar ice caps. That was going to rise sea levels. So we were going to have the loss of species. The area species were inhabiting for tens or perhaps hundreds of millions of humans that lived along coastal areas this was going to be catastrophic as well. Now, the film title, in my view, was absolutely brilliant because it insinuated that there was a truth that people knew or should have known, but the truth, i.e. global warming, uh, was such that we didn't want to acknowledge it. The implication uh, that the global warming deniers were truth deniers and the deniers of a truth that posed an existential threat to humanity's existence. Now, whatever you make of the film's content, the truth quality of the, the film's content, I'm not even getting into this morning, but I admire it for its success. It was made for about a million and a half dollars. It grossed 50 million worldwide. It reinvigorated the whole environmental movement. But the title and the insinuation is really what I want to key in on this morning. What do we do with inconvenient truths? That is, those situations in which something is presented to me that I know is true and it requires something of me, what do I do with that challenge, with that requirement? And it goes like this. I don't want to acknowledge that truth because I don't like what it would cost me to respond appropriately. We're in the 55th message of the Heroes and Villains series this morning. And remember, heroism in this series is faithfulness in the manner of Christ. And and villainy is villainy in faithlessness to God and our Maker. And this morning, we are looking at a villain and a truth denier. We are looking at Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor over Judea. 
He's the one who, of course, sat in judgment on Jesus. And when Jesus said he bore witness to the truth, it was Pilate who said, scoffingly, what is truth? Uh, he was the Roman governor of Judea from 26 to 36 AD. He governed generally from Caesarea, that city on the coast of Israel. He didn't particularly like Judea, didn't really like the Jews. The fact that he was governor for 10 years was quite an accomplishment in that arena. Uh, but even so, he had uh, some real faux pas. He unnecessarily excited the Jews by bringing military standards in with Caesar's image. Graven images were brought in to the Jews' holy city and capital, Jerusalem. Uh, they weren't backing down. He didn't want to either until he realized they would rather be murdered by Roman troops than let those standards remain in Jerusalem. He eventually capitulated and took them out. Luke 13.1 gives us another insight into the kind of man he was. It says there that the Galileans' blood, Pilate, mingled with their sacrifices. We don't know a whole lot more about them, but he apparently interrupted worship at the temple and murdered those who were in the very act of worshiping Yahweh by sacrifice. It's interesting, too, it was in 36 AD because of complaints against him to the Syrian ruler he was removed from office because, again, he slaughtered a group of Samaritans who were doing something related, we're not quite sure, to their worship there in Samaria. So the timeline, hopefully you have a handout and you're looking at the same elements at home. Now, Jesus' public ministry years would have all occurred under Pilate's rule. So from about 29 to 33 AD, Jesus' public ministry. And then for the first few years of the early church, it would have been Pilate who was overseeing the area of Judea. The main point we want to take away this morning is, is, in my view, it's hugely, hugely important. Faithfulness is often inconvenient. Be faithful anyway. And friends, what you'll find is faithfulness is very seldom convenient. It's almost always inconvenient for one reason or another. Villainy in faithlessness towards the Lord is often seen when we face something inconvenient in regard to our own desires and goals, and the temptation is to ignore the truth, think of Al Gore's film title, Inconvenient Truth, rather than acknowledge the truth and what it requires of us. And then there's also a secondary temptation. So I'm faced with the truth, I don't really want to follow through, but I want to sort of hedge and be faithful in the ways I think I can, so I respond in more convenient half measures. It's not that I'm actually faithful, it's a form of faithlessness, but I do what I think I can conveniently do, not really up to the standard of faithfulness, but sort of pretending I am. If faithfulness to the Lord is tied to what we deem convenient, we'll find ourselves faithless again and again. So faithfulness in the image of Christ requires that we embrace truth, we embrace God's revealed will, and act on it even when we find doing so to be at odds with our own desires and against our own agendas. Very inconvenient indeed. And this is, this is singularly important. And here I'm thinking of Jesus' words. Jesus said, if you save your life, if you do those things that you think preserve life as you want it on your terms, he said you'll actually lose it. And what you'll find is that people who trade in faithlessness, because it's inconvenient, they live small lives. They become very insignificant. And it's interesting, related to Pilate, when he leaves the scene of Judea, <clears throat> excuse me, in 36 AD, we, have, we know nothing more about him. His life, as far as any public record, is over. He becomes a very small character in history at that point, though. 
personally at least, though we'll talk about him a little bit later. The text we're going to be in is from Luke 23, verses 1 through 25, and I've chosen Luke's gospel. All four of them speak to the scene that we're looking at all a little differently, and we'll bring in some of the other gospel writers too, but Luke sort of neatly puts out Pilate and his inconvenient moment when he was faced with judging Jesus. So the place we're going to pick up, Brian mentioned in Sunday school, it's sort of odd to talk about the birth of Jesus, having just come through Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, and it's sort of odd, but we're going right back to that biblical time frame and scenario. So right after Jesus' late night betrayal and his arrest and his trial by the Jewish leaders, early that next morning, he's taken to Pilate. And that's where we're picking up Luke 23, verse 1. It says there, Then the whole company of them, the Jewish leaders, rose and brought Jesus before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You have said so. And that's an affirmative. Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Now, verses 5 through 12, I'll skip. Pilate sends Jesus to Herod because Jesus is from Galilee, where Herod Antipas rules. Herod's looking for some amusement, some entertainment. He doesn't get it. He sends Jesus back to Pilate. Verse 13, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. After examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, release to us Barabbas a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. Excuse me. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. So this is where we'll pick up on Pilate's inconvenient situation. So put yourself in Pilate's shoes for a minute. He's in this incredibly unique, historically unique situation in which this Roman governor is now sitting or standing in judgment on Jesus. And as believers in Christ, we know Jesus is God the Son on earth. He's the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. And so here is this sub-authority pilot sitting in on his creator. It's an interesting situation and a very inconvenient moment for Pilate. He's the ultimate administrator of Roman justice in Judea, and yet what he ends up doing is anything but justice because justice and truth for Pilate in that situation were very inconvenient indeed. And here are some of the ways Pilate's situation was inconvenient and challenging. Think of this again. Who is Jesus? So I'm sure 
Pilate already had some news of Jesus. That is, he's got his ear to the ground in the area he rules. He would have heard about this Galilean rabbi who's doing miracles, and there's claims that he's even raised the dead. So he would have known something about Jesus. But here he stands before him. Remember, Isaiah says Jesus has no form that we should esteem him. So here's this rather insignificant figure standing before Pilate for judgment. And we know this insignificant figure in appearance is actually the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And Pilate is sitting in on judgment of him. Odd, odd indeed. In John 18, 37, Jesus claimed to be the spokesman for the truth. And and he says this to Pilate. He says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Singularly inconvenient. Pilate's got a a question about who is Jesus, and now he's got a truth claim issue. Jesus says, I bear witness to the truth. My words are true. What does Pilate do with that? Is this guy a real bearer of the truth? Also, think of some digressions from that. How responsible was Pilate to defend Jesus knowing he was innocent? Jesus is innocent, Pilate says so. Defending him could cause a riot. And remember again, from Pilate's perspective here, Pilate represents Rome. And Rome is far less um, thinking or concerned about this singular prophet in Galilee as they are about tax revenue an agricultural product that would be sent to them to feed Rome. Rome was fed not by Italy, but from around the Mediterranean world. Galilee would have been included in that area. So Pilate's presence in Judea isn't so much about justice to the local population. It's really about representing Roman interests. And so if there's a riot, that's actually against Roman interest. How much does Pilate risk in defending Jesus as an innocent person? His responsibilities to Rome, his day job, if you will, were in conflict with his responsibility to do justice. How much should Pilate risk? Was helping Jesus worth it? This would all have been going through Pilate's mind. Now, Pilate, as we know, ends up refusing to acknowledge Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, though there was certainly ample evidence had he wanted to take the time to sit down with Jesus and get more of a sense of a witness of who this person is and his claims to be truth. But imagine this, and perhaps in moments, don't know exactly what Pilate was thinking, but imagine his thoughts for a minute. I'm a Roman governor. I sat down and listened to this guy, and I, and I came to believe his claims were true. I would become the laughingstock of the Roman world. I would lose my position, my wealth, my social standing. I would lose all the things I've considered valuable. I'm sure something like that was going through his mind, but but consider the counter. Uh, all of that could be true. I could lose everything, very inconvenient, and I could gain eternal life. It seems like an easy trade, but we don't, in fact, know what happened to Pilate. Perhaps Pilate came to believe in Jesus before death. We have nothing to tell us one way or the other. Pilate did, in this context, mock the notion of truth, truth with a capital T, Remember, he says to Jesus, what is truth? Jesus says, I'm a spokesman for the truth. Pilate acts as if, well, who can determine what truth is? But isn't it interesting? Everyone on earth lives as if their notion of truth is true. And even if you're a relativist and you say there is no truth, that in itself is a truth claim. We say, nope, truth can be known. Truth is available, and it was certainly available to Pilate. It was simply inconvenient. 
This is the thing for us, too. Everyone on earth, like Pilate, is faced with challenges and inconvenient claims, some of which Pilate shared. Now, the most important, too, are who is Jesus and what is truth. And friends, we say as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that every person's eternal destiny hangs on their take on those two questions, who is Jesus and what is truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been declared for the last 2,000 years. The world has heard trumpeted and spoken and shared quietly also that Jesus is God the Son come to earth in our humanity to save sinners like us from sin, and that he is the line of demarcation between heaven and hell, between life and death. There are no more important questions than those two. Who is Jesus and what is truth? Pilate faced those questions, and in the biblical record, they were both too inconvenient. He said no thanks to both. But both of those questions apply to all of us. Your future destiny mind hangs on what we do with who is Jesus and what is truth. And I would just challenge you, if you're thinking about that, if you haven't come to your own conclusions, you investigate, you read about Jesus and God's word, you ask God to show you truth, and he will, and you will find that you'll embrace Jesus as Lord and as God. Also like Pilate, so big questions we're going to be faced with, who is Jesus, what is truth? We're basing our life on that for time and for eternity. But also like Pilate, we're all going to find ourselves in situations in which doing the right thing, acting faithfully to God, is truly inconvenient. If I'm faithful to God's word, I'm going to face inconveniences in many forms. And I'll just give a few If I'm faithful to give and serve generously, I'll have less money. I'll have less time. I'll have fewer options. Guys, I'm a guy who loves options. My wife says, what do you want for dinner? I say, what are my options? If I obey God's word to give of myself generously, I have fewer options. Is that really what I want to do? If I speak the truth in love, I may be criticized. I may be accused. I may be rejected? Do I really want to open myself up to those? When friends around me are pursuing immorality, how can I be expected to stay pure or to stay faithful to God's word, to remain morally pure? I think of Pilate again, if my employer, he's subject to Caesar, if my employer asks me to do something illegal or unethical, and I know my job depends on it, and I know my income, my ability to pay bills, to support my family depends on that. Should I really go along? Should I really cave and say, no, I'm going to do what's right and lose my income? These are challenges all of us, to some degree or another, face. As a follower of Jesus Christ, each of us will certainly, you can count on it, and repeatedly face our own inconvenient truths and moments. We'll be faced with temptations to compromise faithfulness to him, to Christ, remember, as believers, who is the way, the truth, and the life. So we need to prepare for those. Jesus spoke in the Gospels about counting the cost. We need to count the cost. We need to be prepared for inconvenient moments. Now, Pilate didn't cave all in a moment. Look at what he did. So I'm faced with an inconvenient claim in truth. I want to be faithful. I want to do the right thing. But I'm afraid to. And so what I'll do instead is I will compromise. I will slide towards something that's more convenient. And that's exactly what you see him doing here. These are on your study sheet, by the way, the references. I won't go over all of these. 
But notice on the front end, Pilate says something very clear, and he says it repeatedly, Jesus is an innocent man. So four times in Luke's gospel, verse 4, I find no guilt in this man. Verse 14, I find I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges. Verse 15, Herod didn't find him guilty. Verse 22, a third time Pilate says, I have found in him no guilt deserving death. If you slide over to John's gospel, you've got the same thing three times. I find no guilt in him. And then really, really strange, Pilate's already struggling, already struggling, and we know he's saying Jesus is innocent. And then he gets this missive, some kind of message from his wife. Matthew tells us in chapter 27, verse 19, his wife sends word to him while this is going on. Be like you and I being in church service and we get a text message and we're like, really? Have nothing to do with that righteous man. I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. So Pilate, man, he's feeling very inconvenient. He knows Jesus is an innocent man. He knows he's being accused by corrupt religious hierarchy. He knows that to punish Jesus, much less to crucify him, is absolutely unjust and wrong. But all of that, those truths, are hugely inconvenient for him. And so, rather than cave entirely, he digresses. He compromises. He slides towards something more convenient. So, In his mind, perhaps something like this. How can I hedge justice in order to pacify the crowds? How do I get out of my inconvenient situation? And these are the measures he takes. The first thing is he starts proposing these half measures. So verses 16 and 22, the first thing Pilate does in order to get Jesus off, not be fully faithful, but to do sort of what he can, he offers to punish Jesus and then release him. So he knows that any punishment of Jesus is unjust and morally wrong, but he's desperate, and it seems like, in the moment, the lesser of evils. Now, in John's gospel, John John parses this a little bit differently than Luke, but before finally handing Jesus over for crucifixion, he has Jesus punished by scourging, and then he presents him to the crowds, Behold the man, hoping that seeing Jesus with the crown of thorns, and guys, remember, scourging in and of itself was one of the most brutal tortures any human could go through. Scourging alone could kill you. So Pilate hopes that scourging Jesus may be his solution. And of course, it's not. Jesus is bloodied. You know, the whips sting. They cut. The pieces of bone and metal rip flesh and muscle, sometimes down to the bone. This would have been excruciating. And yet this was Pilate's attempt at sort of halfway faithfulness. The second thing he does is he offers to release Jesus. In Luke's gospel, it's verse 18, the crowd says, nope, away with this man, crucify him, but release Barabbas. It's John's gospel who tells us in 18 verse 39, where Pilate says, puts puts their demand in Luke in context, Pilate says, you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Again, we want to put this in perspective. The person that would be released is a guilty criminal. So the, the, the practice that Pilate is acknowledging here is somebody who's already condemned as a criminal will be released. 
So by even offering this as an option, Pilate is putting Jesus under the guilty category, a guy he has said is innocent three times in John's gospel, four times in Luke's. This provision was for release of a guilty prisoner. And suddenly, excuse me, Jesus goes from, I'll punish him and release him to he's a guilty prisoner. And then last, and perhaps in a black sort of way, most laughable, Matthew records this in 27-24, when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, he washed his hands before the crowd, and listen to what he says, I am innocent of this man's blood, see to that yourselves. I'm innocent, and the Jews, of course, say, it's all good, we're good to accept the culpability, the responsibility for his death. But, of course, that was absolutely a lie. Uh, Jesus could not be crucified unless Pilate said, crucify him. On the very face of it, it's laughable, it's a lie, but he is squirming to get out of this inconvenient moment. And (laughs) Think of this. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the Gentiles devise a vain thing? That's actually about Pontius Pilate. And it's referenced in Acts 4 by the early church to say, Lord, it's exactly what happened. Because the Gentiles, Rome and Pilate, and your own people conspired against Jesus. And then think of this too. When the Apostles' Creed was formed in the two or three hundreds, it says in part this, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. In other words, the guy who washes his hand and says, I'm innocent, has been accused of Jesus' crucifixion. Uncountable times every time the Apostles' Creed has been read or recited for the last 1,800 years. Finally, of course, after these digressions away from faithfulness towards something more convenient, Pilate delivers Jesus over to crucifixion. So we say Pilate caved. He was faced with an inconvenient situation. He denied truth. He denied justice, and he chose faithlessness instead. When we face our own inconvenient truths, those circumstances where faithfulness requires something inconvenient from us, something costly, something difficult, even if our desire is to be faithful, we will certainly face, like Pilate, the temptation to do what he did to compromise, to hedge the truth, to hedge faithfulness, to take half measures instead of full-fledged faithfulness. And friends, you'll find you will be tempted in finances, in morality, in honesty. You'll be tempted at home, at work, at school. You'll be tempted in little ways, and you'll be tempted in big ways. The temptations are sure to come. Think about another historical person who, like Pilate, faced both religious and civil authorities and challenges. Martin Luther, back in 1517, remember he had published the 95 Theses, but he'd also published other pamphlets against Roman Catholic doctrine and practice. And so he was captured at a singular point, and he was brought before the emperor's and the pope's authority and council. And he was faced with an inconvenient moment. And the gist of what they said is this, Marty, we love you. We want to be with you. We just need you to recant these writings. We just need you to tell people you've got a more mature understanding. You've come to your senses. And and those things you wrote before, they're really not true. 
and you're really on our side. You're really with us. Now, Luther struggled, friends. He struggled like you or I would in the same situation. He struggled, and he said, pretty important. Let me think about this. So he prayed that night, and then when he got up and faced that council the next morning, he said a couple things. He said, one, it's not a good thing to violate your own conscience. It's not a good thing to slide away from faithfulness. As you understand, God requires it. And he said, here I stand. I can do no other. I must be faithful to what I understand God's word says and God requires of me. And that's the kind of example versus Pilate we want to follow. I also want to mention this. A couple verses out of Hebrews. Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 12. In Hebrews 3, the author has just stated that Jesus suffered temptation. Suffered temptations like you and I do. Suffered temptations to cave, to shade the truth, to be a little faithful a little faithless. And it said because he's faced those temptations, he's able to help us when we face those temptations in our inconvenient moments. And in that context, this is what we read. Consider Jesus. When you're tempted, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. When you feel tempted, the author says, consider Christ. He's faced the same temptations you did. He remained faithful. You go to Hebrews 12, you see a very similar call again. Having been exhorted to run our own race of life with endurance, we read, consider him, consider Christ, who endured from sinners, think of Pilate, such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider, the author says, God says to us, Consider Christ. When we're faced with our trials and our temptations and our inconvenient moments, we need to be thinking about Jesus. Now, friends, this is more than uh, this is more than example. So we read the scriptures and we see Jesus. We see his example. But this is the other thing, and this is the theme of this whole series. For you and I to be faithful is not to be religious. It's not to work something up in and of ourselves. When you see Christ modeling godliness and faithfulness in the Gospels and in reference in the epistles, you are seeing on display the very life of Christ that inhabits you as a believer in Jesus Christ. So when we're considering Christ, we're seeing something of the very life of Christ that he's put inside us. So you think of epistles like Galatians and Romans, and Paul says, you know, there's an internal struggle And it's the flesh versus the spirit. It's the old me versus the new me. And the new me is the very life of Christ within me. So when we're facing our inconvenient moments, we're considering Christ and we're recognizing that faithfulness of Christ that's in me. I need to say yes to God, yes to the power and presence of the spirit in me, to say yes to Christ's life in me and to fulfill that faithfulness as he did when he was on the earth. When we look to Christ in the scriptures, we're seeing what his life and faithfulness in us looks like. It is faithful, it's truthful, it's merciful, it's just. So we want to make sure, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that as we behold Christ, we are being transformed into his image. And that's what we want. That's what we're engendering through the whole series. It's Christ is in us, his life is in me, that's what I want to express 
So our inconvenient experiences, moments, challenges, truths, those are all opportunities to see the life of Christ live large in us. So what temptations are you facing today? It's a given. All of us are facing temptations day by day, singularly sometimes, but moment by moment, in small ways at least. What are the temptations you and I are facing today? What half measures, what compromises are we living currently to salve our consciences instead of doing the right thing? Are we fortifying ourselves in Christ to face the future inconvenient truths and challenges? They will come. It's a given. Are we fortifying ourselves in Scripture, in the Word, in Christ, in fellowship, in worship to be ready for those? Do we have at least one person who knows what faithfulness requires of us, who can ask us how we're doing, who can pray for us, whether you think of an accountability relationship or I'm in a small group or I'm in a home group, does somebody know how I'm challenged and how they can pray for me, what my temptations to inconvenience look like? Are we prayed up? Are we prayed up and looking for opportunities to identify with Jesus and share the hope of the gospel we have with others? And this is singularly important. One of the key challenges, inconveniences you and I face is uh, scripture calls the fear of man. We're afraid of what someone else will think of us or say about us. But the truth is this, alienate them right away. Uh, Tell them you're a Christian. Share the gospel without being obnoxious at your earliest opportunity so you remove the temptation to judge or to base your relationship on them with being approved by them. Our house, we used to tell the girls, fire a shot across the bow, offend right away, so that you're not tempted to cave, so that they don't think you're on the same page. And we want to do this shrewdly. I hope this is not coming across in the wrong way. We want to do that shrewdly, but we want to do so so that we're not tempted to shade the truth because we're afraid of what someone else would think of us. So are we prayed up? Are we read up? In the scriptures, are we strengthened by God's word? Remember, it's food for our souls. It's being in God's word that gives us faith. Faith comes from hearing God's word. Faithfulness is based on faith, period. Are we in God's word? Are we feeding our minds with that? Are we changing our thoughts because we're being confronted day by day with the truth of God's word? Choose to live big. What you'll find in your own life is this. When we choose to reject the inconvenient truth, when we choose to compromise or slide towards something more convenient, what you'll find is this, you'll regret it because you choose to be a small person instead of a big person, because you choose to live a lie instead of living up to the truth that Christ is in you and you are in Christ and Christ is enough. So we want to live big lives because Christ is big, because Christ is in us. We want to reject the temptation to live like Pilate facing our inconvenient moments and truth. We want to live big because Christ is in us, and faithlessness makes us very, very small creatures indeed. Well, with that, let me pray and ask God to apply these things to our life. Lord, we're all, we're clay. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we're clay jars, but inside those clay jars, there is the treasure, there is the gold of Christ's life. And Lord, in cracks and breaks, in convenient and inconvenient times, we invite you to help us 
to allow Christ's life in us to live big, to shine through. Help us to overcome those temptations to live small, to slide towards convenience instead of simply following Christ. Lord, help us to repent of current practices by which we're saying no to you, no to faithfulness. Lord, help us to live big enough to honor you, to reflect Christ's life. And also, Lord, just to be a help and an encouragement to others just like us, those who aren't yet in the faith or those who are, Lord, by being free in Christ to love, to speak truth in love, Lord, to pray. Help us so that our consciences do not condemn us. Help us to live big in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, let me give you a few announcements, too, before we break away. Glad you're here. And by the way, thanks to Larry and Tad and Reagan. They're making our live stream possible today. Uh, Before I forget, I'll say this. So next Sunday, we'll have the Lord's Supper. We're separated geographically. We know that. But during our service, streaming service next Sunday, May 3rd, we invite you to be prepared to share the Lord's Supper during that service as well. And then on May 10th, we plan to be here in person one, and two, we will continue streaming. Right now, the goal is to stream indefinitely. Uh, I don't know if that'll be permanent or not, but indefinitely. Simply so, we know that many of you will not feel right. You won't be comfortable coming to a face-to-face service here at the church for a while. Your own health or folks you interact with, you want to be careful about exposure. We're with you. No problem on that at all. Others will be free to come But uh, May 10th, God willing, and of course, we'll communicate all of this with you before then, Lord willing, we'll be together here again May 10th. And then we trust that over time, more and more of us will be able to come back together and meet together. And as I said, worshiping even in a semi-empty auditorium is still great, but worshiping together is so, so much better. So we hope to be doing that again together soon. Also reiterate a message Brian mentioned earlier would you please give to your home group leader or to one of the elders today before 7 o'clock your feedback on continuing the Sunday school streaming venue we've been doing? We'd have three more messages, I believe, before the summer schedule would kick in. So if you think that's value and you'd like to see those continue, why please let us know. If you said, hey, my kids are driving me crazy for one service and worship at home, I can't do two, why you let us know that too. We do want your feedback, so please do that. Work continues on the church building, the addition. It looks like probably towards the end of May before we get our letter of occupancy. I would tell you work continues. We're getting electrical fixtures installed, finish details related to paint, cabinets going on as well. Uh, Willie has driven on the driveway, so I don't know. It's downhill from there. The driveway will be open this week. That's looking good too. Um, Also mentioned uh, about getting together, news broke uh, last night or this morning that the governor has interacted with the lawsuit against her by two churches in Kansas and has has done something to, to end that lawsuit. And there's also apparently indications that she is not going to extend the current stay at home standards past May 3rd. Now, I don't know what will be next, but Pray for the governor. Uh, We need to and we want to get back to a more normal life. We want to be careful, of course, as we do so, but folks need to work. Folks need paychecks. We need to be able to get together again. So pray for the governor to do right by that. Uh, Personal prayer requests, you can see some on the download document 
uh, you have, you can just view that as a PDF online as you will too. I won't say more about that. And if you need anything, seriously, let your home group leader know. Let one of the elders know. We want to take care of each other during this time and glad to do so in any ways possible. Uh, to the building again, and sorry, I'm all, all over the place. I've got all my notes jotted down here in improper order. If you got pledges, uh, we sat down and looked at our income. We still need, I think it's about $8,000 to finish the project without financial delays. So if you've got pledges, please send those in. And by the way, I've talked to some of you. I know some of us could contribute above any pledges. If you can do that, this would be a great time to do it. Uh, $8,000 to finish up and be able to get in, Lord willing, by the end of May. Wouldn't it be fun to be here on the holiday weekend and have a potluck in the new building addition? So I hope we can do that. No pressure. We're trusting the Lord for all of that. So God bless. We'll see you here streaming next week at the same time. And we'll let you know what we're going to do with Sunday School Venue. So do give your feedback today before 7 o'clock, your home group leader or one of the elders. God bless. Keep the faith.